Hello, this is Tony Cook, and I am so delighted to be able to be with you uh, for these small group sessions. And there's really something special about people getting together to hear the Word of God and and to be able to reflect on it and discuss it. And, you know, we love the services where, you know, everybody's all together and we can have preaching and teaching and things like that. But there's something special about a small group setting. Paul in Ephesus talked about how that he administered uh, publicly and in small group settings as well. And so uh, I really count it an honor and a privilege. I love this church. I, I love your pastors. And I just believe we're going to have a great time together. I'm going to be sharing with you from my newest book. It's called The End of Spectator Church, Answering God's Call to full engagement. I share a lot of these things. Of course, we use a lot of scripture that we're going to be getting into, but much of what I share is kind of based on my own personal background. I was raised in a mainline denominational type of church and no disrespect intended whatsoever. But for the bulk of my growing up years, uh, church was a spectator uh, proposition. I would attend church. I would sit there. Uh, other people would sing. Of course, we sang as well. Uh, you know, we did. We did the responsive readings off of the bulletin, and and things of that nature. But but even so, um, for me, I can only speak for myself. It wasn't deep, heartfelt engagement. I really was more of a spectator, and I perceived the preacher the pastor as having some kind of special relationship with God that I did not have. And so really for that one hour a week, um, I would sit and stand as we stood from time to time, but I was primarily a spectator. And I perceived myself more as an outsider, you know, who was coming to receive something who was an insider from someone who was an insider. And if you happen to catch the Wednesday night service uh, prior to these small groups beginning, had the privilege of sharing on Wednesday night, the Wednesday night service, about uh, the priesthood of the believer. And that is really the foundation for what we're going to be sharing in the end of Spectator Church. Because in the New Testament, and I won't go through the entire message, but in case you did not watch it, in the New Testament, uh, every believer is a priest. And Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that we are a holy priesthood, that we all believers are holy priests. And then he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that we are a royal priesthood priesthood. And in Revelation chapter 1, we find out that we are a kingdom of priests. And in my old perspective, I believed that a pastor or a priest was an insider and everybody else was an outsider. But what we find in the New Testament 
is that we're all insiders through Jesus Christ. Uh, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So we're all the children of God. We're all born again. We all have certain privileges and responsibilities associated with our priesthood. Now that doesn't mean we don't have offices within the church or people who are uh, anointed to carry out certain functions of leadership and so on within the church. But what it does mean is that in the New Testament, every believer has privileges and responsibilities uh, when it comes to loving God, serving God, worshiping God, and serving others. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. And so in the New Testament, believers are not simply called to be recipients of God's blessings, but distributors of God's blessings as well. And so to me, it gets very exciting because it means that every single one of us has a part in the plan and the purpose of God. None of us are called to be merely passive observers, uh, outsiders, spectators. Uh, We all have a part in uh, carrying out the plan and the purpose of God. And much of this really does happen in the context of the local church. So I won't repeat the lesson that we did Wednesday night. I shared a couple of highlight verses, but um, because Peter was the primary one who introduces us to this topic by telling us that we are a holy priesthood and that we are a royal priesthood, I want to pick up with some additional scriptures by Peter to communicate what his understanding was of the roles and the responsibilities of believers. Remember that in the Old Testament, pretty much everybody was an outsider. Only the priest could go into the holy place. Only the priest could offer sacrifices. And pretty much everybody else was an outsider. Uh, But the same apostle who told us that we're a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood, meaning that things radically changed when Jesus rose from the dead, he's the same one that preached the, the first New Testament sermon on the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 17 and 18 in the New Living Translation. Uh, The Holy Spirit has been poured out. And it's interesting to note, if you go back earlier in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says they were all with one accord in one place. And they were being obedient to Jesus because they were waiting for what Jesus said would be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit to come upon all of the believers and and equip them, empower them to be witnesses. And so we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 how the Holy Spirit came in like a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were seated. And it says in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now, 3,000 people ended up getting saved that day uh, because 120 people obeyed God, met together, prayed, and waited on the Holy Spirit. And when he was poured out, Peter was the one who had the privilege of standing up and declaring Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected to the thousands of people that had come rushing in from all over the city. And of course, one of their questions is, what is this? What's happening? Because they were hearing all these people praising God in different languages. And it just so happened to be a particular feast in Israel, the Feast of Pentecost. And people had come from all over the Mediterranean world. And they spoke at least 17 different languages. And yet these Galilean fishermen, you know, the people from Galilee were considered to be kind of the backwoods people, the hillbillies, you know, they were not the esteemed, sophisticated, uh, cosmopolitan people of the land. And they were just shocked that all these Galileans were uh, praising God in all these languages that they did not intellectually know. And so they're wanting to know what is this. And as you know, Peter gets up and says, this is what Joel prophesied. And in the in verse 17 of Acts chapter 2, This is what Peter said, quoting Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Now, see, this is radically different because in the Old Testament, uh, only a select few received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the prophet, the priest, the king, and on occasion, a few people who were judges, you know, people that God raised up to do a specific job or task. But the vast majority of average believers, average covenant people with God, they did not have the privilege of, of having that kind of impact and that kind of influence from the Holy Spirit. And now Peter is saying, quoting Joel, in the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people. And we understand he was speaking in covenant context. So anybody who's a believer in God, the follower of Jehovah, would would have the opportunity to receive this fullness of the spirit. This was a radical Change from the Old Testament where just a select few uh, were blessed to have the power of the Spirit in their lives. And he went on to say, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Here again is a radical change. The fact that the women are now allowed to have the fullness of the Spirit. and, And sons and daughters. So really not only do you have the gender barrier being broken, but you have the age barrier being broken. Because most people presume that, well, it's only the old white haired guy, you know, the prophet 
you know, that he could have the spirit. But, you know, young people, not so much. Women, not so much. But Peter says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Now, Peter, again, he's quoting an Old Testament prophet named Joel. And Joel, in the Old Testament, envisioned a day when things would be radically different. It wouldn't just be the prophet, priest, or king that had the spirit, had the anointing of God. uh, But it would be the young and the old and the males and the females. In other words, uh, this he was really seeing this priesthood of believers where every single Christian would have the privilege of of having the fullness of the spirit in their life. Now, Joel kept saying, and they'll prophesy and they'll prophesy and they'll prophesy. Well, Joel, being an Old Testament prophet, knew that when the spirit of God came upon him, he was a prophet. So he prophesied. But what we're going to find out later is that even though Peter, quoting Joel, focuses on prophecy as an expression of the Holy Spirit, we're going to find out later through what Peter later said, and especially through what the Apostle Paul eventually says, that not just prophecy... But there are many expressions of the Holy Spirit that come out of a believer's life when he or she is filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we often emphasize this element. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. And really, we know that the tongues that took place on the day of Pentecost, it's a little bit different. That is, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of tongues. The tongues that took place on the day of Pentecost was kind of a unique expression because there were people there from all those different languages and uh, they heard them glorifying God in their native tongues. But in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that he that prays in an unknown tongue does not speak to men, but speaks to God and edifies himself or herself. And so, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul identifies really a third type of tongues, tongues with interpretation, which in essence is similar to prophecy. So please don't make the mistake of thinking that all types of tongues are the same because Paul says there are different kinds of tongues. But uh, we think of tongues often as being an evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And it certainly is. But one of the things we're going to see through Peter, through Paul, is that when the Spirit empowers our life, uh, there can be different types of expressions, different types of gifts that are birthed on the inside of us, different types of abilities and skills and talents that are supernaturally given. And so we're going to look in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. 
Uh, you remember in our, our, our Wednesday night that you may not have seen, we talked about how Peter said that all believers comprise a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood. But on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter, quoting Joel, said that God's spirit would be poured out on all of his people and that um, the, the sons, the daughters, the old, the young, the men and the women servants would all have these expressions of the spirit. So Peter is really uh, stepping us boldly into a new covenant where really it looks like nobody's really supposed to be a spectator. Man, in the Old Testament, the vast majority of the people were spectators, but in the New Testament, they are not. And that's why we have this book, this uh, material that we're studying called The End of Spectator Church. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10, he said, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Now, if you go back, I'm going to turn in my Bible. You might want to take a look at it as well. I'm going to take a look at who Peter is writing to. So we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, because, you know, sometimes um, you have a book of the Bible, for example, Timothy, where Paul was only talking to a pastor, or Titus, where he's only talking to a pastor. But who's he talking to? Who is the audience of of first Peter, Peter's first letter. He says in first Peter chapter one, verse one, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces, or we would probably, instead of calling them a province, we would call them a state. I believe in Canada, they call their, what we call states, they call them provinces, but it's just a, a, a defined uh, territory. So Peter is writing to uh, God's chosen people who are living in the provinces or states of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. So he's writing not just to a pastor, not just to some select spiritual leader. He is writing to all of God's chosen people in a pretty large geographical area. I've been to several of these regions before myself. They're in modern day Turkey. And I, I should have, um, you know, really looked up the square mileage and things like that. But I mean, we're talking about a huge geographical area. Today, it might be like saying to all the saints in, you know, California, Oregon, Washington, and Nevada or something like that. Uh, It's a large number of Christians in a really big geographical area. So here's what we know. This letter did have a specific audience, but what we can learn from this is that Peter was not singling out a special group of Christians. He was talking to all Christians. So when he gets to chapter 4, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, when he gets to 1 Peter chapter 4, 
and says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. We know this doesn't just apply to those believers in that region. You know, if he had said God has given 50% of you a gift or God has given 10% of you a gift, then we would have reason to believe that not all Christians have a gift from God's, notice this, from God's great variety of spiritual gifts. Now, see, the salvation that you receive as a gift from God is the exact same salvation that I receive as a gift from God. There are some things that when God gives out, um, you know, the same blood that Jesus shed for me, he shed for you. I didn't get some special kind of salvation and you just got a plain, bland, ordinary salvation. No, we're all saved by the same wonderful grace of God. We're all saved by the same precious blood of Jesus Christ. We're all saved by the same rebirth and regeneration from the Holy Spirit. We all have the same salvation. But when it comes to the gifts that we have, Paul or Peter here rather says, God has a great variety of gifts and we have different gifts. Let's, let's look at what else he says. He says, God has given each of you So nobody's left out, nobody's excluded. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So you don't need to be concerned if you can't preach like somebody, if you can't sing like somebody, if you're not a missionary like somebody else. Um, God doesn't call you to be a different person. He calls you to be you. He calls you to be the you that he created, that he saved, that he gifted, uh, that he gave grace to. Notice what he says about these variety of gifts that each of us has received. He says, use them well to serve one another. God doesn't give us gifts so that we can exalt ourselves. God doesn't give us gifts so we can promote ourselves. God doesn't give us gifts so we can be superior to somebody else. Somebody else can be inferior. God gives us gifts so that we can serve other people. For example, if God has given me a gift of teaching, it's really not so I can be a teacher It's so that I can help somebody else learn. If God has given somebody a pastoral gift, uh, certainly that will enable them to stand in a certain office. But all of the gifts are functional. Uh, a, A pastoral gift is so people can be 
taught and nurtured and cared for. If somebody has an evangelistic gift, it's because God loves the lost and wants the lost to be saved. If God were to give someone the gifts of healings and the working of miracles, it's not so they can be the big healing miracle guy. It's because God has so much compassion on people that are hurting and people that need a healing touch from God. God gives us gifts not for the exaltation of an individual, but God gives us gifts so that by using them we can serve one another. And then Peter launches into something that to me is very interesting. He's already talked about a great variety of spiritual gifts. So we understand different people have different gifts. People don't all have the same gift or what I like to say the same expression. And he asks a question. He says, do you have the gift of speaking? Question mark. Why does he say, do you have the gift of speaking? Because not everybody has a gift of speaking. Now, I believe when he's using that terminology here, he's talking about people who are gifted to teach, to preach, to exhort, to prophesy, you know, things of that nature. I think he's talking about, he's not just talking about, do you have the gift of speaking? Well, I know people that talk all the time and, you know, they don't say a lot, but they talk all the time. Uh, they just like to talk, but that doesn't mean they have a, a God-given gift of imparting something through their words, all right? But some people actually have a gift that enables them to deliver the word of God in a way that uh, another person who might be perfectly capable of speaking, carrying on a wonderful, coherent conversation and talk about even good things and God things and that type of thing. But it doesn't mean they're gifted to get up in front of a, a, a group of people and teach the word of God under the anointing. Let me give you an example. And I don't consider myself the ultimate example of anything, but I got filled with the Holy Spirit three weeks after I graduated from high school. I went to a high school in north central Indiana. Our school was literally surrounded on four sides by corn fields. Uh, we were rural. It was a small school. So when I say that I was the senior class president, you know, it's not some, you know, big deal, but I was the senior class president. And as such, I was invited to speak at my high school graduation. I didn't get filled with the spirit until three weeks after I graduated from high school. I turned down the opportunity to speak at my high school graduation. I had no desire. I had no unction. I had no interest. Actually, the idea of speaking in front of a large group of people really just, it, it didn't just not appeal to me, but it was a major turnoff. It was a major no. And I declined the opportunity to speak at my high school graduation and did not do it. 
Three weeks later, I got filled with the Holy Spirit and something dropped on the inside of me. And I began, it didn't turn into immediately preaching long sermons or anything like that. But something happened in my heart and a gift began to percolate. And over the years, uh, it developed and it wasn't a, a, a natural ability that I originally had. I believe it was a gift of God that was part of what Peter described when he said, do you have the gift of speaking? But notice he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, do you have the gift of speaking? He says, then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. So he's clarifying what he's talking about here. And then he asks another question. Do you have the gift of helping others? Question mark. He says, do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. So we're going to stop here. I, I hope you're going to have some good discussion, but I hope you caught at the end there that some people have a gift of speaking that might put them behind a pulpit. It might put them in a classroom, maybe even just one-on-one. Uh, they just share and build other people up and teach. But other people may not have the gift of speaking, but boy, do they have a gift of helping others. So some people maybe are called to serve behind the pulpit. Other people are called to serve maybe behind the scenes. But we have each one of us has a gift from God, maybe multiple gifts from God. And they're from his great variety of spiritual gifts. We come back in session two. We're going to look a lot more at that, especially through what the Apostle Paul says. God bless you.